So about 10 years ago, I was taking this uh, sociology class, and the professor was talking about the different generations. You know, he's making these blanket statements to kind of define each of the generations, and he was saying things like, the builder generation. These, uh, you know, this is the greatest generation, right? And uh, he was making distinctions like hardworking, dutiful, diligent, loyal. I mean, it's a great generation. Then he was talking about the baby boomer generation, industrious and ambitious. He was talking about the millennial generation. So that's those of you born after 1981. And he was saying that the, the millennial generation is going to be activistic and care about important causes more than money. And it's going to be this great generation. Now, for those of you that are in my generation, Generation X, 1965 to 1980, you know what he said about us? You have authority issues. Generation X has authority issues. What? What makes a PhD in sociology have any authority to tell me I have authority issues? I reject that statement. I reject it. But seriously, I, I think he's onto something there, but I could probably extend the authority issue blanket statement, not just to my generation, but to all generations, not just our culture, but to the human race in general. Because I think our issues with authority have to do with trust have to do with trust. Way back, first people on earth, Adam and Eve, you know, they had a pretty thing, pretty good thing going on in the garden, chilling with God, taking walks with God in the garden, until one day, doubt creeped into their mind that maybe, just, just maybe, God the Father didn't have their best interest in mind. What if He was holding out on them? And once they began to doubt His goodness, they began to have issues with His authority and issues with each other's authority. And we've kind of been skeptical of each other ever since, haven't we? Um, wondering who's got our back, who's really got our best interests in mind. Corey and I have two daughters. Stella, is our, she turned 15 months today, actually. And uh, I, I've never admitted to be the best parent. I am a colorblind father, and on Fridays when I have the girls by myself, I'm sure there are days when she looks like a ridiculous clown going out and clashing colors and all this stuff. Uh, I admit to you that I have left parking lots without her strapped in her car seat. Just totally forgot. I'm a bad dad. But I have never, in 15 months, ever failed to feed this kid. I mean, she eats as much as she wants. After 15 months, you'd think that she would get the picture that you can trust Dad, I'm always going to get you the food. But if she's hungry, man, you stick her in the high chair, she will scream. I could be making the food right in front of her. Scream until it touches her lips. As if I was going to starve her all of a sudden, just start starving her. There's a sense to which we all have a little bit of that Stella in us. We, we like to control our variables so that we make sure we're taken care of. Right? After all, who can we really trust? Who can we really trust? Can we trust God? Well, as we dig into the scripture this evening, what we're going to see is two extremes of authority. The Jewish religious leaders who were charged with preserving the worship of Yahweh, the one true God, and leading their people into this relationship with God. And on the other hand, you have Pontius Pilate who represents the Roman Empire, the most powerful nation in the world at the time of Jesus. And in between these two authority structures, you've got Jesus standing in the middle. Now, this text tonight, you guys, is so rich. It almost preaches itself. So here's, here's how I'm going to go through this. I'm not going to be making a bunch of points throughout this thing. 
What we're going to do is read the text. I'm going to dig into it a little more deeply so that you, it will just come to bear on us. And I promise at the end there will be something, something to challenge us, something to ponder. But please, as we read it and explore it, pay attention to who has authority in this text and how they use it. Who has the authority and how do they use it? Would you please stand with me as we read the Gospel of John, <clears throat> chapter 18, 38b through 1916. I'll start with 38. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, No, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him, and they began to come up and say, Hail, king of the Jews! And they gave him repeated slaps in the face. And Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, so that you may know I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate then said to them, Behold, the man! So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be king opposes Caesar. And therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. Pilate sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king! And so they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Father, would you open our eyes, our hearts to your word this evening? For the gospel, the good news that is wrapped up in this incredible story full of irony and twists and turns. Help us to see you in the story, your love for us in the story. 
They help us to get a taste of the danger of submitting to the wrong types of authority. <laughs> the danger of submitting to our own authority. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're a guest with us this evening, we've been in this series called The Road to Easter. We've been really digging into John's Gospel, chapters 18 and now coming into 19. And the last message before this one, we got to see where Jesus had gone before these Jewish authorities. Uh, Annas and Caiaphas, they were the high priestly family and they had this little weird trial at night where basically they wanted to condemn Jesus of blasphemy. Now what happened was when the Roman Empire took over different places like Palestine, Israel, the Romans would not let these native people carry out the death penalty. Okay, So these Jewish leaders, if they wanted Jesus to be crucified or killed, they had to get Pilate, the Roman governor, to convict him of something worthy of death. So they bring Jesus to Pilate for questioning. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago, and Pilate asks him these questions, and Jesus says things like, you know, I am a king, I'm from a, but my kingdom isn't from this place. It's this other kind of kingdom. And so Pilate probably just thought, you know, this guy Jesus, he's dressed all like a vagabond. He's probably just a lunatic. He's not really a king. He's not really a threat to Rome. And so Pilate says, you know, I don't find any guilt in him. And that takes us to our story this evening. And, and Pilate has this plan. See, Pilate's got authority. And Pilate thinks he's really wise. And he is going to invoke this custom about letting somebody go on the Passover night. Now, here's two guys. He's got Jesus of Nazareth, who he doesn't find any guilt in. He really hasn't killed anyone or done anything except heal people and say crazy things. Over here is a man named Barabbas. And some of the extra-biblical texts, some historians let us know that Barabbas' first name was also Jesus. Isn't that a trip? Okay, so you've got Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth and Jesus Barabbas. Now this Jesus Barabbas guy, in your Bible, might say he's a robber. In the Greek, that word, it, robber's weak. It, he's a zealot. He's from this group called the Zealots. And what they were like, in fact, if, if Barabbas were around today, he'd be a terrorist. Why? Because he had these high ideals about conquering Rome and overcoming the empire, but he would use any means necessary. He was a murderer. He killed sometimes his own people to make his point. So he had murdered people and he was on trial. He was in custody by, uh, by Pilate. And so Pilate gives him these two options. And here's what I think Pilate is thinking. I think Jesus is innocent. They want him dead. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give him two options. Jesus of Nazareth, who really hasn't done anything, or Jesus Barabbas, this dirtbag who has killed people. There's no way these religious leaders are going to let that guy go. Well, we all know what happens, don't we? Astonishingly, astonishingly, the leaders say, no, we want Barabbas to go free. I mean, this is crazy. Now Pilate's all in a tailspin. He thought he had this foolproof plan, that he wasn't going to have to be the wishy-washy guy and just let Jesus go. He thought he was going to get the Jewish leaders to let Jesus go, and they pick Barabbas. Now, here's the trip. Do you know what Barabbas means? In Hebrew, the word bar is son. Barabbas, Abba, Father. Jesus, Barabbas, Jesus, son of a father, is getting let go. While Jesus, son of the father, not a trip, Jesus, son of the father, is being condemned to die. 
Pilate doesn't know what to do. He still doesn't think Jesus is guilty. So, he has Jesus scourged. There's three main types of corporal punishment that the Romans would use. And the first one was this Latin word called fustigatio. And it meant beating with sticks or canes. Not, not like baseball bats, but kind of like... Like you get in the Philippines if you steal or something. And uh, basically, that was for Roman citizens. If you were punished, you would get beat up. And you would be kind of like a walking bruise when you were done. But you could walk away and you'd be kind of okay. That was the first level. The second level was flagellatio or flogging. And this was used with a leather whip. And the Romans didn't have any kind of uh, rules. Like uh, the temple guards in Jewish law said you couldn't, you couldn't flog anyone more than 39 lashes. You couldn't do it. But the Romans could just keep flogging you until they got tired. So that was the second level with this leather whip. The third type of punishment, by far the worst, was verberatio or scourging. In this verberatio, the, the Roman soldiers would use a whip with, and the end of this whip would have maybe nine tails or maybe more or maybe less. That's not the point. The point is they would have these devices on the end, lead balls and shards of glass and shards of metal. And this device was meant to do one thing, to rip and to tear. And they would whip a person and tear off skin. Josephus, the historian, tells us uh, uh, about different accounts of this type of punishment, this type of torture. He talks about people's inside showing, sometimes death occurring. No one came out of this without at least being maimed and disfigured. And think about what Jeannie just read. That he was nothing to look at. Nothing attractive to look at. So Pilate has Jesus scourged, torn up. And these soldiers are doing this to him. And they must have thought, what kind of king is this? What a loser. And then they made fun of him. And they put a garland of thorns on his head. Mark's gospel tells us that after they put the crown of thorns on his head, then they beat him on the head with sticks, causing those thorns to dig into his head. And then they put a mock robe on him. They punched him in the face over and over and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Of course, of course the crazy irony is, he is the King of the Jews. He's the King of the universe. So Pilate has this done. This is how mighty Pilate uses his authority to flog an innocent man. He brings him out to the Jewish religious leaders and says, Behold the man. All right? He's probably thinking, this will satisfy him. This will be good enough. Now, this is pretty interesting. Behold the man has a couple of reasons. I'm going to go over two. First of all, Pilate says, Behold the man, because behold the man. The man was kind of this, uh, it wasn't like the man we have today, where you know the man's holding me down, or the man's like big business, or anything like that. The man is another way of saying the king. And in fact, in the 14th verse, uh, Pilate's going to say exactly that. He's going to say, Behold the king. It's, it's a similar statement. So he's making fun of Jesus, and he's making fun of the leaders, saying, Look at this guy completely shredded up and he's such a threat to you here's behold the man okay but <clears throat> there's a much deeper level and I think Pilate speaks better than he knows Jesus is presented as the man because he is the ultimate man 
He's what mankind, humankind, was supposed to be like. N.T. Wright makes a great observation. He says that in the Roman, during the Roman Empire, there were more statues, busts, figures of the emperor in the provinces than there were even in Rome. And the reason is because, you know, you and I can, for a a meager price, we can jump on a greyhound or we can jump on a plane or a a, a train and be thousands of miles away for a relatively small amount of money. But people in those days, they didn't get to travel far. And maybe if you lived in a ho-dunk town, you'd never get to Rome and visit the emperor, or he may never come to your town. But there would be a bust of the emperor in your town, and you could take your kids and say, this is what the emperor looks like. This is the one we serve. And of course, there was these lead markers, so that when there's a new emperor, they would just knock the head off and keep the same body, and then there would be a different head on. So these, these statues were icons. They were physical representations of the emperor to remind everybody who's in charge, right? You ever thought about who you are? What you are? What we're supposed to be? What if I were to tell you that you and I are living statues of the living God? God created the heavens and the earth. This place, the whole world, is His temple, it's His creation. And He created you and me in His image, His icon. We're supposed to bear His character so that when creation looks to us or other people look to us, They can see some of God's character in the way that we treat each other. In the way that we treat and steward God's creation. In the way we use things. In the way we create art. We're supposed to be His image bearers. Now, because of sin, we're broken image bearers, aren't we? We're cracked reflections or distorted images. But not Jesus. Jesus... The Word, God Himself, became flesh and dwelt among us. And I've been saying this over and over again, but if you want to know what God is like, look in the Scripture, look at Jesus' character, because that's exactly what God is like. It's God with skin on, God with bones. So Jesus is the ultimate human being because He lives up to what we were initially created to be before sin infects us. Jesus is the ultimate man. Of course, much more. Now, Pilate doesn't know what he's saying when he's saying, Behold the man. He just thinks he's poking fun. But we know that John meant more, and his first readers would have known. Well, Pilate's plans keep on failing. You know, he he thinks he's going to have Jesus scourged, and that's going to satisfy the religious leaders. But it just infuriates them, and they yell, Crucify! Crucify! Like we're chanting at an athletic event or something. And Pilate again says, I don't see any guilt in Jesus. And then the religious leaders turn up the heat and they tell Pilate, Hey, listen, this guy made himself out to be son of God. And by our law, he's got to be killed. Now, this cuts Pilate deep on the inside. Check this out. Pilate is a polytheist in the Roman, kind of the Roman religious world. They, they served many gods. And in fact, Caesar Augustus was known as a son of God. So... He's kind of open to the idea that maybe Jesus is a little more than meets the eye. In fact, in a lot of Roman and Greek literature, there's stories of deities or partial deities deities coming down and disguising themselves as common people. And they'll kind of hang out with you, and if you mistreat them, boy, they'll zap you. Because these Roman gods, you know, they're not quite as gracious as, uh, as, as Jesus. 
And so Pilate is worried. And in fact, you remember, maybe you don't, but in Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, Pilate's wife comes to Pilate and says, don't have anything to do with this guy. You know why? I had a dream about him last night, and it was so disturbing. So there's something going on, almost as if God is breaking through. And kind of as a side note, I, I don't know about you, but I've recognized that sometimes non-Christian people, people who don't even you know, call Jesus Lord, are more open to these spiritual sensitivities than we are. Sometimes we're quick to discount the spiritual side of life. And I think we need to be careful because in this text, Pilate seems more sensitive that Jesus might be something special than the chief priests are. Pilate is in trouble, and he wants to know where Jesus is from. He's scared. Where are you from? And Jesus doesn't even answer him. Jesus doesn't answer him because he doesn't need to. Okay, a little quiz for those of you. If you're a guest, don't worry about this quiz. But those of you, you know who you are if you've been around a while. Where's Jesus from? What's John been telling us the whole time? From the, from the Father. That's kind of muffled, but yeah. Jesus is from the Father. John's been telling us over and over and over again. So we read this line in there, Pilate saying, where are you from? All of John's audience, the original audience, are probably saying, I know where he's from. He's from the Father. And it's, it's this rhetoric in writing of showing us a profound truth. Jesus says, stay, uh, stay silent, and he gets flustered. He says, don't you know that I have the authority to let you go? In the Greek, exousia is the word behind the authority. It also means power. Don't you know I have the exousia, the power, the authority to let you go, or I have the exousia to crucify you? You better speak up. And Pilate, he knows Jesus isn't guilty, and he is scared because he's in a real pinch. Here's why. If Pilate... First of all, let me just tell you a little bit about Pilate. He's a scumbag. <laughs> Can I say that? This guy was brutal. He would, uh, you know, if you, if you had a little rebellion, he'd crucify your family. I told you, I think a couple weeks ago, he completely uh, looted the Jewish temple just to create an aqueduct. I mean, desecrated their holy place. He was actually in a lot of trouble because people had complained to his superior. Now, if he got more complaints against him, he might be deposed by his superiors for not keeping the peace, by making everybody mad. And in fact, just a little FYI, years after this whole incident with Jesus, that's exactly what happens to Pilate. Historians tell us that Pilate was then exiled, he was kicked out of his post, and they suggest he committed suicide. So Pilate really senses the pressure here. And here's the other side of the pressure. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Excuse me. If Jesus really is one of these Roman types of semi-deities, Pilate's a little worried if he tries to kill him that Jesus might zap him. And so what Pilate is doing is trying to hold out time that maybe Jesus, if he's this special divine man, will bless Pilate in some way, will reward him for staying his execution. (laughs) Jesus doesn't even play into this game. Doesn't answer his question. All he says is, hey, you know what? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you. Do you hear that? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you. Authority 
is a gift all the time. It's a privilege. Did you know that you are a person of authority? Raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. Dallas Willard, the philosopher, says that your will or your authority is the effective, you can put it down, is the effective range of your will. You and I, even if you're a baby, you have control over your body. Now that's a base level of authority. Some of you lead companies. Some of you are parents and you lead kids. You're raising them up. Everybody has some kind of authority. And guess what? That authority is a gift from God. And we're going to be held responsible for how we use it. If Pilate's authority then is a gift from God, then he's not, Jesus really isn't submitting to Pilate per se. He's submitting to the Father. How many times have you agonized over who's in control? How could this leader be in control? How could this happen? How could I follow that person? Well, this passage is full of good news that even the worst decisions by the worst leaders can be redeemed by a sovereign God. This is a God who allows us to live with our consequences when we screw it up. And yet he's still going to have the say in the ultimate outcome of things. And you know what? That's really good news because I don't know any perfect leaders and perfect authorities. And guess what? Pilate was one of the worst of them all, and so were these Jewish chief priests. And you know what came out of this situation? The Savior of the world. It's pretty awesome. So after all, this is, this is such a mind-bender. God gives authority to Pilate, right? Think about this. Then God becomes a person. God submits to the man he gave the authority to in the person of Jesus then he allows that person to torture him, to mock him, and ultimately to crucify him. Have you ever thought about it that way? What kind of God is this that we serve? This is amazing. And he did all of this to save us. And you know what? I think he did it all even to save Pilate. And even to save those chief priests, they would just turn around and repent. There is no one, no one that is outside the scope of God's grace. John tells us that Pilate, this man with authority of the Roman Empire, made efforts to release Jesus. Made efforts... Pilate could have released Jesus at the blink of an eye, the snap of a finger. Made efforts. He had real authority, authority from God to, to run this province as a governor. He could have just let Jesus go. But the issue is not with Pilate's authority. It's how he used that authority. Now the religious leaders are politically savvy and they push Pilate's buttons. And they say, you know, if you let Jesus go, this is a guy, Pilate who claims to be a king from this other kingdom. So if you let him go, you're no friend of Caesar's. In the Roman world, the value of loyalty was number one. You had to be loyal to your family and specifically your father. In fact, if you were dishonoring to your father, you could be put to death, no questions asked. But, worse than dishonoring your father was treason to the Roman Empire. Treason 
to the emperor. Pilate here is being threatened of being accused of treason, which would have been the end of him. So he makes a decision, not on what's just and right, but on what's going to save his behind, and he condemns Jesus. And John tells us that when he casts sentence, when he passes sentence on Jesus, what day is it? The day of preparation. What hour? The sixth hour. Do you know what's happening around the sixth hour on the day of preparation? The lambs are being prepared for Passover. And Passover is the celebration of the God who rescued Israel. The same God who they're condemning. I mean, isn't this just full of irony? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is being condemned. Pilate has one more line, a one-line zinger to try and poke fun at the Jewish leaders. He says, Behold, your king. And then one of the most ironic lines in all of the gospel. I think in all of the gospels, all four of them. The Jewish religious leaders, the ones charged with preserving the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. The leaders who received their very authority from God reply, we have no king but Caesar. Their authority was given by God to honor God, and in the end, they loved their position of authority more than the God who gave them the authority. All their language and actions were under the guise of doing things for God, right? But when it came down to it, they killed God in order to preserve their own positions. God wasn't their king. Jesus wasn't their king. Heck, Caesar wasn't even really their king. Their king was their own appetite for power. Which leaves us with the question, who's your king? Who's your king when the rubber hits the road? And don't be fooled, everybody has a king. You know why we have authority issues? Because we give authority to the wrong things who become the wrong kings. Whoever or whatever you give authority to will be your king. So we can walk around saying that Jesus is Lord and sing songs about Him. But when it comes down to a decision between loving my neighbor and serving myself, who's my king? And when it comes down to being generous with my finances, who's my king? And when it comes down to dealing with stress in the right way or turning to the bottle or to a pill, who's your king? And guys, when you're tired and it's late and you're surfing the web and one more click will take you someplace you don't know you should be, who's your king? And when we're tempted to live beyond our financial means, to live the American dream, who is our king? Let me tell you about him. The king is the one who gave himself up because he knows we're traitors. I just, I, I just said that. We're traitors. And he knows it. He knows what we do in the darkness of our thoughts. He knows what we think when no one else is looking. He knows all the times that we say, I have no king but fill in the blank. He knows. And that's why he died. And you know what? 
He still loves us. He still loves us. He is faithful. His loving kindness endures forever. We can trust Him more than anything or anyone the world has to offer. So if you've been rebelling, if you've been living for a different king, take up your authority as an image bearer of the living God and recognize your true king. Come back to Him. There's an old word for that. It's called repentance. Turning around saying, I'm sick of living for counterfeit kings. You know what the good news is? He won't deny you. He will not deny you. Father, (laughs) what kind of king are you to come and to submit yourself To submit to you to such crazy bad leadership, to horrendous torture, to giving your life for us who so often rebel, who so often are unappreciative. All I can say is thank you, and I, I admit I don't even fully get what you've done for me. I've made other things my king. I've given authority that belongs to you to other things, other people. So I and we fall into your grace. It's the only place to turn. Thank you for being a king like none other. A king that gives yourself to save us. By your grace, would you help us to be loyal? Not for the sake of loyalty. That's important, but for the sake of seeing that the life you offer is full life, an abundant life, the best life. Help us to say with our innermost person, we have no king but Jesus. Amen.